Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 370. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, Agent Versus. So this week, uh, it's a little bit of a lighter news week, but our top news is that there's a new trailer and a new poster for Marvel's Runaways Season 2. December 21st, mark it on your calendars! On Hulu, that is when the season drops. Very exciting. Very exciting indeed. Yeah, and uh, we're doing some fun stuff here in the Marvel New Media Group. I think you'll hear some more about it real soon. I don't know why I went Canadian there, but I'm into it. Oh, hey, why wouldn't you? I know why you went Canadian, because it's who we're talking about today. That's right. Our big talk this episode is about Deadpool, particularly the Deadpool versus uh, array of books. It's not a line. It's not a series. I like array. It, It conjures up images of variety. Maybe like a veritable buffet of characters who should have nothing to do with each other and yet do. Yeah. And yet find some common ground. Totally. So we'll be talking about all the Deadpool versus series, which eight limited series and one sort of part of an ongoing. We'll talk about that in a little while. And we're partially talking about that because our interview this week is with Mr. Daniel Kibblesmith, writer of Black Panther versus Deadpool. But now it's time for things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Oh, indeed. In addition to the runaways, we have an interview on Marvel.com with Chip Sidarsky and Marco Coquetto about their upcoming Daredevil run coming next year. And I got to do that interview. I was super psyched about it. I personally love Daredevil, and I was even more psyched to hear these guys talk about what their plans are. Yeah, it's, uh, I will say... It's going to be tough for them because they are following up on a tremendous run by Charles Soule. And uh, I haven't read it yet, but Jed McKay is writing the five-issue... Uh, Man Without Fear. Yeah. yeah. Jed is on fire right now with us. Uh, so, you know, I think they've got big shoes to fill, but I believe in Chip and Marco heavily. And I know they're going to... Just come out of the gate swinging. It's going to be great. I mean, speaking of on fire, maybe you saw the teaser image for the new Daredevil run. I did. I did. It looked great. It's on fire. Yes. It <laughs> yes, is literally it is. on fire. Yes. <laughs> We're going to get to some of the books on sale this week, but one of them, I think we even have an interview about this. We do. Ironheart number one is on sale this week, and there's an interview with the writer Eve Ewing on Marvel.com, which was actually done by our intern, Rebecca. Yeah. For me, I mean, I don't have any more news, but I took a couple days off with the holidays last week, and I played through Marvel's Spider-Man Turf Wars, the downloadable content, the second part of the Marvel Spider-Man The City That Never Sleeps, DLC for Marvel Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4. It was a lot of fun. Uh, You get to actually, like, fight against Hammerhead, and he's... He's cool. Like, back in the comics, way back when, he loved the 1950s-style movie gangsters, you know, like Mm -hmm. Jimmy Cagney and stuff like that. And that was sort of his motif. Here, it's a little bit more 70s-ish, you know, like Scarface-ish. But it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. More missions, more suits, more cool stuff. So if you haven't played that yet, it's available now. I'm already done with it. I'm champing at the bit for the last DLC chapter in December. So looking forward to that. And I am going to LA for some secret stuff. Some of it comes to uh, talk about some of our video games. Some of it about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I got to see. Uh, I sat next to Mr. Matthew Rosenberg when we saw the movie. It was cool. They gave us these popcorns. So we're sitting in the movie theater and I am captivated by the film. Like 
jaw open, watching, watching. And there's a point where there's a, a little bit of a jump scare. At least I got jump scared. And so I'm holding this paper bag of popcorn and I, Ugh! Did you explode your popcorn? A bit. And Oliver, Matt, Matt looks at me and he's like, what is wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, man. That got me. It is tremendous. You're going to hear more about the film uh, in a future episode, I think, more about Miles in a future episode, but it is a wonderful Miles Morales film. It is a wonderful Peter Parker film. You get to see Nick Cage voice Spider-Man Noir. You get John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. You get so many great characters. Spider-Gwen is in it. Kingpin is in it. And recently we were talking about some books to read for Marvel's Daredevil season three on Netflix, and I suggested... Daredevil Love and War, which is a great, great graphic novel from the 80s. And Bill Sienkiewicz, the artist, drew Kingpin in that story as this massive, round, like... Mountain of a dude. Like, yeah, mountain of a yeah. man. And the way that Kingpin is presented in this film reminds me so much of that. Oh, it was wow. so cool. Like, that's who he looks like, and uh, which was really, really neat. Kingpin is in there. There's a bunch of great characters. It is such a love letter to Marvel Comics. Oh, uh, man. I adore it. It is so good. Easily one of my favorite films of the year, one of my favorite Marvel films. But I, I've been waiting to talk about this on the show. So, whew, good stuff. Uh, but from there, let's talk a little bit about comics because the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List are Black Panther number 6, Daredevil, number 612, Ironheart, number one, and Dead Man Logan, number one. Make sure you are subscribed to Marvel's The Pull List wherever you get your podcasts. And you can watch video versions on Marvel.com with that handsome devil, Tucker, Marcus, and me. I think now's the perfect time to dive into our Deadpool versus conversation. I agree. Let's dive right in. So in honor of Daniel Kibblesmith, writer of Black Panther versus Deadpool on the show this week and the second issue of that series on sale, we're going to look at other books, other versus books starring Deadpool. They're mostly titled Deadpool versus something. Not all of them. We'll get into that. But one of the funny things that I love right away about Black Panther versus Deadpool was that they wrote a joke about how they're going to get into this battle as soon as they meet, like Deadpool meets panther and he's like look we're gonna meet up we're gonna fight and then we're gonna team up and that's what happens and that's what happens in a lot of these books it's a really really funny stuff we've been doing these for oh gosh it's almost five years now so we started these in 2014 and then you know people love to see deadpool being chaos around other characters indeed i mean the very idea of deadpool interacting with so many of these characters who have dark sordid histories or even just you know really great team players who are kind of happy-go-lucky with a little bit of drama and then bringing Deadpool who is just human chaos that is so intriguing to me and I it's like of course you have Deadpool versus it makes all the sense in the world heck yeah so when I was getting into comics and wanted to explore characters who were a little less well-known, all of my friends who were even we were serious comic book heads were recommending Deadpool to me. And that is because I love horror. I love grotesque, nasty, disgusting stuff. But something that always really attracted me to Deadpool was his irreverence. It's not really the breaking of the fourth wall. It's he doesn't care. He has no respect for authority. He's not really a team player. He's like you said, he's chaos. And he's um, Bugs Bunny in a lot of ways. He's he is yeah. like funny and weird and twisted and just like 
having a good time, but around him, just people and things are not safe. Not safe at all. I feel like Deadpool is kind of like Bugs Bunny if he was in one of Peter Jackson's early horror movies. Mm. And uh, that is very specifically something I really like. So, yeah, I'm all about Deadpool, and I am even more about Deadpool interacting with characters who want nothing to do with him. So, enter Deadpool versus So many titles that answer the burning question, how impossible is it to work with Deadpool? Yeah, I wanted to dive into these chronologically, starting with Deadpool versus Carnage from 2014. This was released in the summer of 2014 and is written by Colin Bond, art by Salva Espin, colors by Veronica Gandini, lettered by VCs Joe Sabino. Joe Sabino formerly worked here at Marvel, and you're going to hear his name. I think he's lettered every one of these books. I love Joe. He's a great dude. And I just as I was going through rereading all of these, I was like, oh, Joe. Joe, Joe, Joe. Uh, it made me really happy. And Colin, a lot of you listeners will probably know Colin from Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, a lot of Deadpool series. And he often dives into the more violent and visceral, just grotesque parts of Deadpool, which is what this one is. You got Carnage on the loose and going on a killing spree. Uh, we get to see Shriek, who's Carnage's sort of sometimes gal pal. I have very distinct memories of reading her in Maximum Carnage from the 90s. And in that series, the two of them sort of adopted the weird Infinity Wars Spider-Man doppelganger. So it was this... <laughs> Spiky one? Yeah, he's like crazy teeth <laughs> and six arms. And they basically like pretended like it was their kid. It was a very twisted little family. Oh, that's uh, sweet. Yeah, it was great. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the story is in the second issue. We see Deadpool using a destructive sonic power against Carnage in the form of dubstep. Which is terrible. Just the worst. Like, there is very few... I just It gives me chills. Uh, this is a twisted, twisted violent story. I just got to keep stressing that one. Because this one is, I think, among all of them, this one is the most, like, gorific. Which is why I love it so much. I feel like every once in a while I find a comic that sings directly to me. And Deadpool vs. Carnage is easily one of those comics. Everything about this series is right up my alley. It's a buffet of disturbing things that I love. The art is so gorgeous. I love when gross art is beautiful. And I feel like that's what Deadpool versus Carnage was all about, was beautiful nastiness. It's also a really good example of Deadpool's regenerative powers because he's literally dismembered. He is taken apart, and then he takes on not one but four symbiotes. And then there's also a dog. Yeah. There's a dog who looks a lot like my Peggy, who also takes on a symbiote, which I was thinking about this long and hard, about what would happen if my dog took on a symbiote. First of all, I'd have to keep trying to convince her that I need to feed her. Otherwise, she will have to eat me. Mm. On to a little bit later in 2014, Deadpool versus X-Force by Dwayne Straczynski, Pepe Larraz, Nolan Woodard, and your boy Joe Sabino. Pepe, he's one of our young guns, uh, an incredible artist. And this is one of his older gems, actually, because it's, you know, four years ago. At that point, when this first came out in the fall of 2014... He was already so damn good, like just top tier even then. And now it's just more and more and more. And this series is really just a fun time travel romp of Cable and X-Force going after Deadpool. I will say, though, it is not quite X-Force as this takes place 
before New Mutants 98, which is the first appearance of Deadpool. And that issue is when Deadpool actually meets Cable in sort of the, the canon chronology. This takes place before that. So they don't know each other. Cable and Deadpool are interacting, but they have no history at this point. And the team wasn't even X-Force. It was New Mutants still. Uh, but whatever. X-Force, they make fun of the fact that they're calling it X-Force, even though this isn't X-Force in the book itself. So we're having a lot of fun. Uh, the last page, though, it was a hoot. It's a twist on Deadpool's first appearance in New Mutants 98 that I won't spoil anymore, but it, it was cute. I enjoyed it. This is something for your history nerds. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Up next, also in 2014, was Hawkeye versus Deadpool. And Deadpool really got around in 2014, didn't yeah. he? And this one was a five-issue limited series. Here's the thing. It's a five-issue limited series, but only goes up to issue number four <laughs> because it started with issue number zero. Naturally. I don't remember why we did that. I remember being like, why did we do that? And someone explaining it to me, but I don't remember at this point. I think I know the answer. What's that? Deadpool. Correct. It is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Matteo Loli, and Jacopo Camagni, and a bunch more people. It's uh, It mixes, for me, two of my favorite eras of these particular heroes. It's Deadpool trying to be a dad and trying not to be so much of a jerk. Uh, he's hanging out with his uh, life model decoy shield buddy, Agent Preston. Then you have Hawkeye being a Brooklyn brownstone landlord. Plus it has some Really great visual cues from the Matt Fraction and David Aha Hawkeye series, which is, if you've not read it, who are you? What are you doing? Where have you come from? I mean, I read that series. It's why I love Hawkeye. Yeah. My favorite sequence, though, is probably in issue number two when you have Wade, Clint, and Kate. They're hanging out in one of Deadpool's safe houses. They're playing a kart racing video game. Uh, they're eating. They're planning. And then they start seeing ghosts. Kate sees naked uh, Benjamin Franklin ghost, which is terrific. And he's like, hey, it's probably the funniest book on this list. Might be my favorite of this, the limited series. Next, 2015, Deadpool versus Thanos. Oh, boy. I mean, uh, what a delightful pair. Yeah. This is about a year later, um, at the end of 2015, around the same time that our Secret Wars event was going on, which Secret Wars, one of my favorite series of all time. But this was actually set before the Deadpool series that began in 2013, written by Jerry and Brian Posehn. This particular story is by Tim Seeley, Elmo Bondock, Ruth Redmond, Joe Sabino, and more. And like the other books here, it's more of a team-up than a full-on throwdown. Because, of course, they do fight. Well, I will say that it's less of a fight, more of Thanos just pummeling Deadpool. Mercilessly. <laughs> it is brutal. Is there really a chance there for Deadpool no. even? No. I mean, no. I, I feel like... Nope. These two are the oddest of odd couples and not like in the charming way where like if I could think of two characters who should absolutely not be in a comic together, it's Deadpool and Thanos, which means of course they should be in a comic together. But the best part about this is it's kind of a twisted romantic comedy because they both oh. are in love with death, like the personification of death. They both have a long history with her in various comics and she is imprisoned and in danger and her true loves. Both Thanos and Deadpool are the only ones who can save her. The X-Force book, that's set across time. This is actually set across the universe and beyond. It actually goes outside the universe. Thanos and Deadpool fight the Guardians of the Galaxy. They hang out with low-level Earth magician Black Talon, who recently showed up in the current Deadpool series. I love Black Talon. He <laughs> looks like a chicken man. Uh, he I hangs just, out with a lot of zombies. I just like how you refer to him as a low-level yeah. Earth magician. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, eh, he's you know. There. He's pretty low down. On... I mean, 
on the level of David Blaine? Yeah, or, he's or he's lower? like Chris Angel. Lower. Yeah, he's like Chris Angel level. You know, you've oh, okay. got Doctor Strange, Doctor Druid, or Doctor. Look, we can't get into the magicians of the Marvel universe right now. Uh, they <laughs> end up in the last issue outside all of existence. Thanos and Deadpool versus Eternity. It's fun and big and answers the question we've all been asking: Is Eternity ticklish? You will have to read the book to find out. When I think about the Infinity War series, you know, the Jim Starlin series, uh, I definitely thought to myself, you know what's missing in the, all of this? Philosophical, cosmic wonderment and beauty is uh, Deadpool. He was either not around or he was basically a guest star in like two issues at that point. He was but a, but, but a glimmer in... Marvel's Eye. But we've done some fun stories like Deadpool Secret Secret Wars where they inserted <laughs> Deadpool into the original Secret Wars story. Not for now. We can't talk about that now because we've got to move on to Deadpool v. Gambit from 2016. Oh, it's your favorite. Yeah. I do love this series. <laughs> uh, and it's on this list even though it is not a proper versus series. It's a V. There's a subtitle though, which the subtitle is the V is for versus. Uh, there may have been a film... Or something else that was titled Two Characters Battling with a V instead of a Versus that was released that year. Maybe you're familiar with it. I'm sure you can figure it out. But this one is by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. Art by Danilo Bayruth. Colors by Chris Peter and letters by Joe Sabino. If you think the title is a goof reference or something, the whole book just goes to town. They have fun with Hamilton, Destiny's Child, Brooklyn Hipsters. At one point, Deadpool imagines himself Scrooge McDucking into a money bin, which <laughs> makes me really happy. We've got Absorbing Man at a barbecue at one point, And it was just like... He says, like, I've always wanted to try this. And he absorbs a hot dog. And then he yells, it's wiener in time. Which, like, I feel like Acker and Blacker were put on this earth to make that joke. It feels good. I love it. All right. So on to another anti-hero-y versus book. Yeah. Deadpool versus The Punisher. This is from 2017. It's written by Fred Van Lente. Art by Perry Perez. Colors by Ruth Redman. Letters by, ya boy again, Joe Sabino. Deadpool lettering star. Yeah. It is really great lettering. He has a very specific way of lettering Deadpool and especially like his guttural sounds. And I really, really enjoy looking at it. But I feel like if there was any one character who did not have the patience for Deadpool, it would be Frank Castle, because bless his heart, he's just so jaded about everything he's ever been through, understandably so. But this guy in a room with Deadpool is something very intriguing to me. How will Frank Castle ever deal with him? I think about this situation, and this is going to be a three-page long comic. I am wrong. Yes, it is interesting the way Punisher kind of uses Deadpool like a weapon in this series. But let's dive yeah. into it a little bit. Uh, this one, it's a heartbreaker to me. This one, There's a guy called The Bank. He takes care of all kinds of financial accounts and stuff for various people. Kingpin, Roxxon, Deadpool, on and on and on. Deadpool, he's visiting Bank when uh, Punisher also gets there. But Deadpool is actually even more connected to Bank's family, his wife, his child, and the family... The, the wife and the child, they're seemingly killed in, I think it's the first issue. And that sets things off. Punisher and Deadpool then team up. More so, it's Punisher who keeps shooting Deadpool in the head and then tricking him into working with him. He's It's kind of awful. Punisher shoots him in the head, which doesn't kill him, knocks him out. He then takes off 
Deadpool's mask, puts on a fresh mask so he doesn't see that he's got a bolt hole in his head when he wakes up. And he sort of tells him, oh, no, we were doing this. We were... It's very manipulative. But, it really is. Yeah. It's a little upsetting. Yeah. Punisher. This is Punisher doing Punisher things. Surprise. Not a great guy. No. Uh, he's dealing with a lot of stuff. Anyway, um, there's a moment when Deadpool gets angry. When the curtain is raised on what's really going on, Deadpool figures it all out. It's so intense. It was one of those moments in comics where you just like... You hear the music and you're just like, doom, 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 doom. Uh, the ending to this one, though, it is sad, a little funny, very appropriate. I hope at some point we get to follow up on this one. Very cool. So the next one is another character that I've been dying to see in a room with Deadpool, and it's Old Man Logan. Yeah, and this one is from 2017, finished up this year. It was written by friend of the show, Declan Shalvey. You can hear us talk a little bit about this in a recent This Weekend Marvel interview with Deck. The art is by Mike Henderson, who he's doing the art for Dead Man Logan. Declan also does covers here, and he did covers on the Versus Punisher series as well. Declan, great, great stuff. Old Man Logan, if you don't know, He's broken down version of Logan from a future wasteland universe who's lost everything. Boom, he's here in our time. There you go. This book starts with uh, a few pages of Logan and Deadpool. They're running as flaming vehicles fall on their heads, like truck, car, bigger <laughs> truck, airplane. Like that's how the book starts. It's a lot of fun. It's so funny. It's such good comedic timing. Yeah. Like, I love how the panels are drawn, like, from such a far angle. It looks like nothing. It looks quiet. And then suddenly it's chaos. Yeah. The two of them, they are trying to rescue a young mutant from a secret organization that is testing and experimenting on her. Uh, she has this power to transport things. It is upsetting. Imagine a you know, 16, 17-year-old kid who learns, like, they have these incredible powers and that these powers have very negative effects in certain ways. Ultimately, it's kind of a supervillain origin story, and I really, similar to Punisher, I really hope we get to follow up on this at some point. Yeah, I think what's also so cool about Deadpool versus Old Man Logan is they can just destroy each other constantly, and it doesn't matter. They just regenerate. Yeah. They just uh, get over it. The emotional scars never heal. Anyway, on oh. to uh, Spider-Man versus Deadpool. One of my favorite series is Spider-Man slash Deadpool, which began in 2016 as a team-up book by Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis. The two of them did one of the greatest runs of Deadpool comics in the 90s. That is what so many Deadpool fans look at as being like influential of why they love the character. So it was really cool that they did that. But it's, you know, they finished up their run and it's continued on since then. From issues 23 through 40, the book was called Spider-Man versus Deadpool. With Spider-Man and Deadpool mostly at odds, the Versus issues, and now while it's back to the Slash titling, they've been written by Robbie Thompson. Art across the series has been done by a ton of people, Chris Bashalo, Scott Hepburn, Matt Horak, tons more. The Versus run, though, is incredible. It's got talking murder sharks who love Netflix, future alternate universe stories and characters where Wade and Pete are best friends and trying to take care of each other, but also they've Aww. kind of screwed each other up. Yeah. There's tons of life model decoys, heartbreak, fourth wall breaking, uh, jokes, so much more. It is one of my favorite series all the time. High recommendation. So that covers our uh, Deadpool versus Dive. Hope you guys dig it. I have a question of the week. You said you had one as well. I would just want to know, what is your favorite Deadpool versus series? You have eight limited series and an ongoing. Tell us what you love, favorite moments, anything about these. I'm, I'm curious. And, and yeah, and my question was, uh, how would you deal with a dog who takes on a symbiote? 
<laughs> do you do you can you trick them into thinking or believing that you're the one who needs to feed them so they cannot eat you? Yeah. Looking about the end of the Carnage series, you know, the dog doesn't have to be bad. Dog can be good. Oh yeah. I looked at my dog after reading this last night and I was like, what would happen? If you took on a symbiote and it was just the two of us in the apartment hanging out, watching TV, that dog's going to murder me unless I do something (laughs) about it. And I'm thinking I have to convince her that she needs me to survive. Fair. Yeah. Now you guys can tweet your answers and your thoughts using hashtag this week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Now it is time to get into our interview with Mr. Daniel Kibblesmith. Daniel, wonderful guy, very, very funny. I'm very excited that he's doing more and more work with us. There's a lot of talk about Lockjaw in here. Uh, There's also, of course, some talk about Black Panther versus Deadpool. So you'll hear some of that, some about all the other stuff that Daniel does. And uh, hope you guys dig the interview. We'll be back soon. Daniel, thank you for joining us on This Week in Marvel. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very excited. We've got so thrilled. multiple topics to talk about, including one that has caused Jamie to like shake with excitement for yes. the past couple of days. I feel like this is a long time in the making. We're finally going to get to talk about Marvel dogs yes. with you, Daniel Kibblesmith, the writer of Lockjaw. I do feel like I have like a definitive stake in this. Like I'm bringing a, a small amount of authority to the subject. Yes. I, I mean, yeah, that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get there, uh, one of the things I always like to know is like, what is your what's your Marvel origin story? How did you get first exposed to Marvel characters, to comics, whatever it was. How did you get in there? And then how did you end up getting to write and create Marvel stories? Well, my Marvel origin story, my dad was uh, a comic book reader, and he had a huge collection of uh, Silver Age issues, of back issues. It was never really my thing. I think as like a kid, I was kind of like looking for my own identity, which ended up getting hard into video games. I'll never forget the first time he took me to the uh, Fun Zone Arcade in uh, Melrose Park, uh, Illinois, by Triton College. It is not there anymore. I think it's a college bookstore now. My arcade was called Time Out. It was in the Garden City Roosevelt Field Mall on Long Island. Oh, yeah, word up. Uh, We had a Spaceplex. So you guys probably had a similar reaction. I did to the six-player wraparound X-Men arcade game. Oh, yeah. Uh, so as a as a kid, I it wasn't until I saw the uh, X Men arcade game that I had this kind of like renewed fascination in the Stranger characters and uh, in particular Nightcrawler, who because of that arcade game, I thought Nightcrawler's uh, mutant power was to turn into like a comet and then run in like a tight circle, <laughs> knocking over like seven foot tall Sentinels. Sure. So just uh, like Colossus would, you know, right, Colossus throw is, energy blasts. Exactly. And Wolverine would shoot energy from big his claws. rings of yep. of uh, opalescent laser come out of his claws. <laughs> Dazzler, about right. Yeah, they got her. Cyclops, pretty obvious. Yeah. So after that, I was hooked on the characters and. My dad said, oh, you like you like Nightcrawler? I've got Excalibur number one. Check this out. It's like Nightcrawler's team. This is what he's doing when he's not with those guys. And then just because of the age I was and the time, it, it coincided with a bunch of sophisticated, uh, for the time, uh, animated series were popping up. So I would watch uh, the X-Men cartoon show and try to figure out, like, well, now where's Dazzler? Because <laughs> I saw the arcade game. <laughs> I didn't know it was... was 
based on a pilot for a different cartoon show that have you ever watched it oh yeah, yeah i watched okay. it now okay yeah, yeah, yeah now i've watched it like a bunch of times hello my name's wolverine <laughs> no wait i think that might be you d- two different things the pride of the x-men pride of the x-men is he australian in yeah. that one i thought he was australian in the episode of spider-man and his amazing friends both i think oh yeah it was before Google, you guys. You know? You couldn't Google what is Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Canadian, Australian. Yeah. Kids won't know the difference. It's the late 80s. We love Australia right now. <laughs> so uh, that was when I went home and just started going through my dad's back issues. He was, in particular, uh, a Marvel person, especially when he was growing up. So that was the universe uh, that I was more familiar with. And um, I kind of received everything... And I, I talk about this a lot with my love of, of Lockjaw. I kind of received everything as like one info dump because I just got like, you know, 20 to 30 years of comic books in one pile. And I didn't know that there was any kind of fan hierarchy to who were the mm-hmm. significant characters. I thought, well, like, I know the Fantastic Four are important and they're friends with Lockjaw. So Lockjaw must be like a pretty big deal. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you think that? Yeah. Well, I'm right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've been are. proven right by history. <laughs> Considering we have like 9,000 characters, how many of them don't ever get their own headlining series? Lockjaw has had now a headlining series, puts him way above seven, 8,000 characters. Yeah, you look at it like a percentile, yeah. and he's doing really, really well. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted his uh, sort of uh, Doctor Who-style companion, like the, the point-of-view character who you know can talk, helpfully, to be D-Man, because I thought uh, D-Man was kind of his whole identity is rooted in the fact that we think of him as a peripheral character. So I wanted to put him in a situation where he wouldn't overshadow someone that we also think of as a peripheral character who in our book is very much the star. I love D-Man so much. I think he's just such a cool character. One of our few like openly out characters and awesome. Like he's a wrestler. He's a wrestler. Which he's done is everything. the coolest thing. And my wife reading Lockdown, she's like, oh, broke D-Man's heart. She was really upset by that. I mean, this was actually my introduction to D-Man, and I met him as a heartbroken dude, and I felt so bad for him, but he had lockjaw, and I was like, well, his life's going to improve greatly now. (laughs) This is going to make him feel so much better, because it's really hard to be that distraught when you have a dog, and especially one who is so good, like lockjaw, who can basically take you anywhere. Yeah. So that's really cool. When they asked if I wanted to write Lockjaw, I knew that I needed a character who could, you know, have conventional dialogue. And we knew we wanted to do a a sort of a travel log story, which is why uh, the chapter headings all have those like postcard bubble fonts at the top. So I asked myself, okay, who is the person in the Marvel Universe who most needs to pet a dog? Who has earned the dog petting? I knew that a D-Man was, you know, kind of back on the scene and had recently come out. And I thought, like, okay, D-Man going through a breakup is exactly the kind of person who would get a dog. And, uh, you know, no spoilers, but it is kind of also, in addition to a solo adventure about Lockjaw rediscovering his own secret origin story and expanding his universe, it's also kind of a a stealth story about D-Man getting a dog. (laughs) Which is wonderful. Yeah, D-Man's been D-Man's been through some stuff. That's the oh, other reason. Yeah. The other reason that I that I wanted to put him in the in the story. I uh, know that lots of comics readers uh, deal with uh, depression and anxiety, and I wanted to do a story about when you're in that place, 
how if somebody forces you to get out of your house, and in some cases out of your dimension, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it can be a healing experience. Yeah. For sure. But can we talk about Lockjaw's origin story? Because yeah. I, I know I I know that there has been some talk, some rumor about what Lockjaw really is. Is Lockjaw really a dog? Is Lockjaw a former human who became a dog after being exposed to the Terrigen Mist? You proved, and it's canon now, Lockjaw is a dog. Lockjaw's a dog, you guys. He's a doggy yeah. dog. He's clearly a dog. <laughs> and that's what I've always felt. I mean, I think my dog may have been a cat who was exposed to Terrigen <laughs> Mist and then became a dog because she still acts like a cat. But Lockjaw's a dog, and he's always been a dog and now there's proof yeah don't overthink it he's he's a dog he's obviously a dog yeah i think this all stemmed from i think it was a john byrne issue where someone was playing a trick on ben Grimm with lockjaw they were just messing with ben but anytime you talk to tom brevoort about this and he's just like no he's a dog and it's just thank you fire in his eyes (laughs) thank you yeah but to your point it is great to have this and be like here's the story here's the cool and like seeing his family was neat. Like, getting to explore this broader doggo universe yeah. for Lockjaw was neat. Yeah, I mean, The Marvel made... Dogiverse, if you will. <laughs> oh, I'm all about it. I mean, if you want an entire dog Avenger, well, there's the pet Avengers. I know that those guys are out there, but I want to see Thori. I want to see Asgardian doggos. I want to see, like, Guardians of the Doggos. Doggos of the Galaxy. I actually was going through uh, my old notebooks uh, looking for uh, Marvel pitches that I was working on back in the day. And I found, and this is true, this is from, it was from like 2012, 2013. Uh, I found, uh, written in my notebook, Lockjaw colon Homeward Bound. So I at some point, and I don't really remember the details, uh, was going to pitch a Lockjaw story uh, before our editor, Will Moss, uh, approached me about doing Lockjaw. I had my own Lockjaw aspirations that I think he was going to like end up on the other side of the galaxy and lose his teleporting ability or just like lose the scent of Earth or something like that. So probably shouldn't have said that. I guess I could have written that at some point. <laughs> You, can, you still can. You and can this is a Marvel it. show. And it's your idea. You <laughs> just said it. It's fine. <laughs> Copyright, do not steal. <laughs> Daniel Gilsmith and Marvel. How, what was the, the thing that got you writing for Marvel? Was it just a conversation meeting with Mill? Like, what was it? I'd been doing comics uh, for like a couple years. Uh, it's something that I was always interested in doing. Uh, I went to uh, film school at uh, Columbia College in Chicago. That was when I kind of got back into comics as an adult. Uh, and started reading like the sort of like the big seminal runs and uh, you know uh, the more kind of mature for lack of a <laughs> le- for lack of a word that isn't a lie and I just fell in love with comics again. So while I was at film school, I was working as a projectionist, and uh, I thought this will be great. I'll watch movies all the time. It was actually very very loud up there. And there's a window like about yay big that was not at eye level. So in order to watch movies as a projectionist, I had to crouch next to the projector in my ear. So it's I'm sure it's different now because it's digital, but it's uh, what I ended up doing was just reading comic books all of the time. So um, after school, uh, I had some uh, comic book related internships and just befriended uh, other editors and writers on social media mostly. And I started doing like a handful of like um, humor pages uh, for Valiant Comics before going on to do like full stories at Valiant. 
And then I think I just had enough kind of work to my name that uh, Will Moss uh, emailed me and said, if you have time, uh, would you like to do something for Marvel? And I did not have time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm also a writer every day at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So um, comics has been kind of a nights and weekends passion project, but I wasn't going to say no to my first Marvel gig. No, I'm sure not. Have you talked to Steven about this? Much? Yeah, I yeah, mean, he's like, aware. We, I remember Joe Quesada gave him Captain America Shield. I, I do, before we go past, I want to talk a little bit more about video games because I'm a huge video game guy. What are you playing right now? Uh, I'm not much of a gamer anymore. That was really uh, my childhood passion and then comics took over again um i'm waiting for the switch subscription service to uh, bring back all the classic nes games i do very frequently play uh with my wife rounds of injustice 2 mm. where we just uh wail on each other at the end of a stressful day beat and, each other up yeah, yeah she calls it a monster fight <laughs> that sounds like what i would call it see what i did is instead of like watching a movie and then playing the video games, I would watch the movie and then write fan fiction. Sure. So I feel like I still kind of want to because there are characters that I like that I would like to write stories for. And I would like to ask you the same question. Are there any other characters that you would like to write stories for? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a... I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, yeah, I have a list of characters that I'd, I'd love to do something for. Nightcrawler, again, obviously. Probably my favorite comic book character ever. I love to do anything with Daredevil, but a lot I'm of s- faith involved. Yeah, in, in so I realized uh, I I didn't figure this out until like a year ago that my two favorite Marvel characters are both uh, like devil themed lapsed Catholics, and I'm a about right. non-practicing raised Jewish, you know. They're a little angsty, I guess. <laughs> um, but those are the first. Those are the first two that leap to mind. But uh, yeah, what I what I really like to do is like um, is like a team book because at Valiant I did uh, Quantum and Woody, which was like kind of a buddy comedy, and I did their uh, high school alternate universe uh, story. <laughs> and I realized that uh, if you don't know how to end a scene, you just cut to what the other characters are doing. <laughs> and that was one of the things that I learned writing Lockjaw. <laughs> so it's just him. <laughs> you got to stay on Lockjaw. Whatever he's going to do next. <laughs> You can't just like, oh, I wonder what these guys are up to. <laughs> One of the hardest parts of sketch comedy or improv for me was how do you end a scene? And that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard of. You Ensemble just cast. Turn into other characters. Yeah. Oh, man. You watch like recent seasons of Game of Thrones. That's all they're doing. It's like, well, we're done talking. <laughs> what else? Who else is in this show? <laughs> What's this other guy doing? What's happening at the wall? Hey. That's still a thing, Hey, right? they're on a boat. That's pretty cool. <laughs> No one's on a boat? Let's put someone on a boat. They'll get here eventually. (laughs) You had also mentioned to me that you like Blade. Oh, I love Blade. Blade. Oh, I forgot to bring up Blade. God, I feel like a moron. That's why why we're here. I got you. We got you. you. This is Blade Chat? Yeah. It's time for Blade Chat. And the Wesley Snipes just burst through. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I wish. Is he here? Is that the surprise? Um, Yeah. The 1998 Blade movie was a big deal for me. Me and my friends went in. We were not supposed to be in an R-rated movie. Nobody cared. No one cares now. (laughs) But at the time, it was the coolest, most interesting, and, and confident. Even for an action movie, it was some of the most confident characterization that I'd ever seen. And I, I really get 
people who are like, oh, I, I, you know, uh, James Bond is, you know, my my guy. Like, I get so hyped when I see James Bond, or you know, like, uh, like when I watch Hunger Games, like that's me, and I'm bringing the revolution, <laughs> <laughs> like getting pumped up. And for us, that was that was Wesley Snipes as Blade. We had just never seen an icon like yeah. that. So yeah, I would love to do anything with with Blade. It came in a time when comic book movies were not really like a proven right. entity and it worked people responded to it and then you know a couple of years later you get like the first x-men movie and the first spider-man movie and it i think it proved to people who were skittish about uh, those those characters being like kind of like too cartoony or like that the special effects weren't really there that there was an appetite for this kind of stuff and now i i think they've they've done more marvel movies since then right yeah i think it worked out i think it worked out worked out real well worked out Uh, real well especially for two characters i want to talk about next because you are writing a book called black panther versus deadpool with artist Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. I'm very excited. What's, am, this, what, what's going on with this book? I am also very excited. <laughs> was it this was you, was it your idea to have these two hanging out together? Because that sounds like a really wonderfully odd couple. Uh, it wasn't my pitch, but if I'd known I was allowed to pitch it, oh. uh, it definitely would have been. No, this was an idea uh, that was brought um, by uh, Will again, by Will Moss, the editor also on Lockjaw. And it was the kind of thing where I had read some of the Deadpool versus stuff because as somebody who I don't get enough time to read comics as much as I'd like. uh, So I like the self-contained minis where I can go in and there's a character that I'm rooting for or like a creative team that I'm already a big fan of. And I can do like a five issues and get a complete story. So we're doing the same thing here. And I'm really excited about that because like people that I work with and people online have told me that this is going to be their first comic book. And I'd heard a long, a long time ago that that's kind of like a saying around the Marvel offices that like every comic book could be somebody's first. And that's a huge honor to me, especially if they would like go into a local shop and like ask for it and pick up other things that catch their eye while they're there. Because I really feel like that's the experience I got to have. And, and that's kind of what it's about. That's so cool. I, when you say that, it is something we say here at Marvel, but I think of that as everything we do. This is the first time someone will listen to this podcast, is us talking. and This is the first time someone will be exposed to you in any of your work is by hearing this. This is the first time someone will come to the site. They'll see something about a thing that we're, you know, like there's always somebody's first time. And how do you make that impression? And what does that mean to them in five, ten years? Um, especially when it comes to your work and the comics is, is a really important thing. Not intimidating at all. No, not even a little I mean, bit. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to scare you, but I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think Lockjaw number three was the first comic I read here. Really? When I got here. Yes. Wow. And it was one of the first times I was able, because it was only number three, so I could go back and find the other two really easily. And um, that was one of the first series I actually got to read from the beginning. Oh my God, that's so, a huge honor. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. It was about a dog. There was a, an adorable, wonderful dog on the cover. And I was like, I didn't, the Marvel dog universe was, I didn't realize how vast it was. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. I, I want there to be more stuff like that. I mean, whether it's like characters you know from the movies uh, and you know their personalities already and you can't wait to, you know, in the case of Deadpool and Black Panther, like obviously see those personalities clash. Yeah. Yeah. The, and I'm like how racking is... my brain. They're not together a ton. No, it in hasn't Marvel happened. Comics. It hasn't happened very much. I looked into it. Uh, so, I, you know, be fully researched yeah. for this, obviously. I like <laughs> yeah. you, you stood up Straighten and, up yeah. a little bit. 
to, to prove my cred. So Deadpool uh, fought Killmonger in the Black Panther costume when Priest was writing both of them. So that was really interesting to me. But they, they fought then. But, you know, it didn't count because it wasn't T'Challa. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they fight in uh, Civil War II because uh, Deadpool is uh, trying to use uh, the bathroom. Trying to use <laughs> Black Panther's bathroom. <laughs> or like he's trying to use the bathroom in a place where yeah. Black Panther thinks he's up to no good. And Which that was, like that. was at that point. Yeah. yeah involved and in some shenanigans. That was the root of everything was a bathroom argument. <laughs> then they're still carrying that <laughs> seed still, of anger. Oh, I'm never going to forgive that guy. But I don't want to spoil too much, but I, I can tell you that the clash, like all great you know, uh, Marvel superhero versus superhero stories, they both think that they're right. They're both the good guy. They're both doing the right thing. But they have totally opposite view of what the good thing to do is. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Ricardo is amazing. I didn't know uh, his work until I found out he was coming on board, and I, I went online and, and looked at some of the things that he'd been doing. And he brings this kind of, like, I really think people are going to like it, especially people who are, who are new to comics, because it has this kind of, there's some, like, manga in there, there's some street art in there. Yeah. And with the action sequences and the fight scenes in particular, everything is so fluid, and it always feels like things are moving when we introduce uh, Deadpool in issue one, it's during a chase scene in progress. And you can just really see, like, the vehicles, like, speeding by. And you get the, the feeling of, like, the wind rushing past Deadpool as he leaps onto a moving vehicle. Yeah, he's, he's such a perfect fit for this. Yeah, it, it's almost got this, like, Looney Tunes vibe to some of his things that he was doing a Weapon X on. I'm very excited for, for that book to come out. Yeah, I'm curious to see if is going to break the fourth wall. Ooh, no spoilers, mm. but that is a great question to ask. Mm. <laughs> Daniel, I thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. Do and where can fans find you online? Uh, you can find me at Kibblesmith pretty much across all social media because it is always available. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> how to do all that stuff. Perfect. Nailed it. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thank you. Big thanks to Daniel for coming in, doing the interview, chitting and chatting, and uh, yeah, check out Black Panther versus Deadpool. First two issues are available right now. But now it is time for our community segment. I got some tweets in from you guys. First is from Simon Williams. He says his twim of the week for November 21st was Immortal Hulk number nine. He says the last page is the stuff of nightmares, and I would agree. Beautiful, beautiful nightmares. That oof, that page is. Wild. And last one from Simon. He says, also, the friendship between Squirrel Girl and Tony Stark is one of the sweetest things in comics right now. Hashtag friendship is dope. That's right, Simon. I agree. I agree. Uh, The tech lord says, I think Kelly Thompson is trying to get Ryan to change his mind on Gambit by giving him so many cats. Is it working? One, yes. It is working. (laughs) Two, uh, I don't have the user's name here, but someone on Twitter, because I, I shared that out, and someone reminded me that it was actually Peter David who originally gave Gambit all the cats in the pages of All New X Factor, which is true, is correct. There's a great cover by Chris Anka that has Deadpool with kittens on them and is really cute and adorable. So we actually just released a new trade of that run. You can check that out right now. But uh, shout out to everybody. Yes, cats will definitely help turn the tide against even the most vile of characters such as Gambit. And last tweet in here is from Karis Pollard. She says, West Coast Avengers is consistently top quality. 
makes me smile every single time. And this week it has panel of the week as well. And yes, it has uh, the panel of Modoc having been <laughs> unbrodocked. Uh, and he's beautiful. And he's look, I get it. <laughs> the pressures of society make us all have to try to uh, be what we're not. And Modoc thought he had to be Brodoc. But no, I love him for who he is as Modoc. I think that is a great, great point to make. I think that's a good note to end on. We'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.